Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, but more importantly than that, we are very good friends. Isn't that right, Ben? That is accurate. Wow, comment this time. I really appreciate that. I'm as, trying I'm as, trying a new program, Sammy, that, that's more human, more human than human. That's our motto on the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. You can find Ben's work all over the internet. Ben, give them a taste. Come on, tell them where they can find it. Uh, you can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car Driver, at Haggerty, and at Inside Hook. And what about that uh, comic book you've been working on? Oh, yeah. Thank you for reminding me. So the second issue of Dead Air is currently on Kickstarter. We launched on Tuesday and we're doing really well. And a lot of that I know is because we have very strong support from the podcast listeners. I really appreciate that. If you want to get in on the second issue uh, and the first issue, if you haven't read it, they're both available uh, right now. It's www.deadaircomic.com. And it's uh, 90s sci-fi with the soundtrack that looks at college radio and uh, ask the question what if one day out of the year you could talk to the dead so deadaircomic.com and you'll find uh, a whole bunch of really cool art and an interesting sci-fi mystery story um for you to read um additionally if you like the ramblings of myself in this week's podcast you can find my work at autotrader.ca driving.ca electric autonomy canada and nouveau magazine and and now, this week sammy yeah. hasn't created a comic book but he has created another human life form okay. and he's currently raising a son and that's pretty amazing. there's no kickstarter for that but there should be <laughs> there should be absolutely for 24 hour round the clock support um, this week, we actually have a special guest joining us on the podcast. He's going to be chiming in um, as often as he can, hopefully. I'd like to introduce Thomas Hundel from The Autopian, a very cool website that uh, is full of great enthusiast um, stories and and news. Thomas, say hi to the people, too. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much. I'm so stoked to, uh, to be on here chatting with Penn and Sammy. They're both awesome people, by the way. Um, and... Uh, yeah, just so excited to be here. Yeah, and we didn't pay him to say that, which is very important. Unlike the other the other people we've told uh, to say good things about us, he did that for free. Sucker! Um, ben, we've got some cars to talk about this week. I want you to talk about this um, hybrid that you've been driving recently from Hyundai. And um, tell me a little bit about it. What's it called again? So I spent the week driving the 2024 Hyundai Tucson Hybrid N-Line. Sammy, which is the version of the Tucson that looks sporty but isn't sporty, uh, except if you're looking back through the past, because last year you could get an N-line version of the Tucson, but only on the base model, which is a uh, not quite as powerful as the hybrid model. So in a way, it's a it's a performance upgrade, but only if you're traveling linearly through time. Wonderful. I've driven the Tucson hybrid before in the past. Um, but not this N-Line model. Thomas, have you had any experience with the Hyundai Tucson? Uh, I have. I've driven the hybrid and the plug-in hybrid. Okay. Cool. And the plug-in right. hybrid is even more powerful. I think it's like 35 more horses or something like that. It is, but it's also, you got the extra weight of the battery pack, you know, for the plug-in hybrid stuff. So it's, you know, not that much of a difference in the real world. And I don't think there's an N-Line version of the plug-in. 
No, no, which is a shame because, you know, some of those plug-in incentives are great. Some people want a bit of a sportier appearance. It should be fairly easy to swap on a few cosmetic bits at the factory in yeah, theory. I agree. I don't I don't know what's holding them back. Although, uh, Sammy, you have mentioned earlier pre-podcast that you're not a huge fan of the Tucson styling. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the Tucson stylings. I think those harsh creases that you find, um, especially in the in the side profile, um, make it look like it's already been hit by something, like a like a baseball or something, or like already been in an accident. I it I, looks creased, it looks dented, and I just every time I see one, I'm like, dang, they they messed that up already. I it's have- a sharp. Sorry. It's a sharp crease for sure, but like the bar in this segment is on the floor. Yeah, it's it's like I would yeah, take is it prettier than I don't know a Volkswagen Tiguan. Yeah, maybe I'm gonna like, take a crease or, or over a, a blob uh, anytime of any time. You know, like it's just CRV. And I think that the one that I had was was black, like blacker than black, and I think that does a lot to kind of not necessarily hide the sharper edges, but it kind of helps them merge together where they need to merge together. And you're less likely to notice any awkwardness. I thought it looked pretty good. And I thought the end line package kind of added to that. I mean, it is just purely appearance, right? You're not getting anything. Uh, Yeah. Talk to me about this. It's just, it's just an appearance package. That's it. Well, you get like a different interior as well. Marginally different interior. Again, you're getting a lot of badging and stuff, different wheels. Uh, it's positioned kind of in the States. It's, it's like a mid trim, version it's just below the most expensive in canada there's i think there's only i don't know if you can get the base tucson with the gas only engine i think is the only gas only trim and that's the 1.6 liter turbo in that model yeah and that's like 187 horsepower and then i think it goes right to hybrid I'm not 100% sure, but there's like four versions of the Tucson that you can get. And then there's like... I don't know if they dumped the the 2.5 liter engine in the in this generation or, or this no, year. This, there's, it's gone. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, it's gone, gone for a long time. And, wow. and the other thing that's kind of weird in Canada is if you don't want the end line, which costs in Canada $43,271, you can get an, a luxury hybrid version of the Tucson that is exactly the same price. <laughs> and so, okay, that's an important thing to bring up. Which one would you rather have? This is... This is always a very bizarre strategy to me as as a buyer when you're presenting what is supposed to be um it, I don't I don't want to call it an enthusiast car because it's not an enthusiast oriented model the end line isn't it's just a I mean it's it, it is in the sense that it's the only enthusiast model that they have for this vehicle it's not enthusiast like it's not enthusiast oriented at all there's nothing enthusiast about it except for the letter n stitched in the in the headrest i'd argue the plug-in hybrid is more enthusiast oriented because evs and plug-in hybrid enthusiasts are very much real and very that's much true. it is a cult <laughs> yes that's true that's important to point out absolutely um okay then talk to me this thing's got what 230 horsepower 220 horsepower it has 226 horsepower and 258 pound feet of torque sammy that that Torque figure sounds pretty decent. You know what's weird is um, I just want to go back to we were talking about pricing. Oh. I didn't mention the US pricing. It's 368 in the US for the end line. Mm-hmm. Uh, but their base model Tucson is like really cheap. It's 27,000. And Canada doesn't Canada's baseline is like 32,000. So there's a much bigger gap in the states before you get to the hybrid because there's more versions of the base Tucson. Like you can get you don't have to go right to hybrid. But I'm on the builder right now for the I wanted to make sure that I couldn't build a um a gas version of the Tucson that was outside of the base trim. And they have a filter for 2.5 liter. Okay. And 
I'm not there sure. There is one? I'm, it's super unclear because when you choose it, it shows you the plug-in hybrid, which doesn't make any sense. Because if you Ooh. scroll down, it's like 1.6 liter engine. So, <laughs> so there has been some uh, sort of maneuvering, finagling of trim levels for the 2024 model year. I suspect part of that is because... Uh, for a while, when Tucson and Santa Fe were, you know, the outgoing Santa Fe was sold, the Tucson actually had more interior room. So it was the yeah. same class of car. Now Santa Fe's moved up, and now Kona has moved up into sort of this interior size category that the old Tucson was in, and it's yeah. ballooned in price. So, you know, they're trying to likely build some wiggle room in there to guide shoppers into one of those three models. It is It is super strange. So, like, when I hit... 2.5 liter, it shows me the base, the luxury hybrid, and the ultimate hybrid. Um, and then it grays out the end line, even though all the hybrids have the same 1.6 liter <laughs> engine. It straight up says that right here. But what's funny is for the base model, it gives you one feature, which is color touchscreen, and then it goes, and more, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and um, so, and it's showing the 2.5 in Canada, uh, it's showing that that is the base, the base engine. Okay. So maybe I was wrong and maybe it, it is the 2.5 across the board for base models. Anyway, doesn't matter so much because we're just talking about the end line, which is only available in the hybrid. Um, while we're on the topic of pricing, it's kind of a weird position for Hyundai to be in because there's a pretty decent hybrid from Toyota. The RAV4 hybrid is a lot cheaper in the States. It's $31,000 to start. That's a bargain. Like that's seriously a great price. Yeah, that's a five grand discount over the Hyundai. And uh, over the end line, anyway. And even if you move up, like, there's a lot of different versions of the RAV4 Hybrid. Even as you move through them, it still stays pretty cheap. In fact, the most expensive RAV4 Hybrid is only, like, $800 more than the most expensive Hyundai. And in between, you have a lot of, of wiggle room, like you were saying before. So there's some gaps in the lineup here. Um, the In, in the, uh, the U.S., I mentioned the end line is kind of like the second from the top version mm-hmm. of the car. You can get a $32,000 stripped down hybrid if you want, and it's still more expensive than the RAV4. So, sorry, yeah, the RAV4. Uh, the CRV from Honda kind of goes in the other direction where they made. It's too expensive. All yeah, the time. they made their top two trims uh, the only ones you could get with hybrid. And then this year they added a, kind of a sport hybrid that's a little bit cheaper, but I'm not sure how it competes on features. It's certainly no end line. So, then, like, that's an important thing to bring up. I mean, there's there's. This RAV4 hybrid, first of all, it has brand recognition. A lot of people recognize um, that if they want a hybrid, that maybe Toyota is the automaker to go to. Um, but I think the powertrain is feeling a little bit dated in in terms of power delivery, or or I mean, the I think the combined horsepower is like what two hundred and twenty ish. Yeah, they have but to protect that, the RAV4 Prime, right? Which is like, but that torque figure that you mentioned in the Tucson. Really, it probably outdoes whatever is is in the Rat Four. Two hundred fifty-eight pound-feet, and that used to be what you would get with like a GTI. That was kind of where the yeah. that that turbocharged four-cylinder engine hovered around. Uh, don't look for performance, though. I mean, this thing does sixty miles an hour in seven point one seconds, which is fine. It's not particularly sporty. It's not particularly slow, but it does have a six-speed automatic instead of a CVT, which is something that a lot of other crossover hybrids can't claim. And I really enjoy that in a in a vehicle. CVTs are, depending on how they're tuned, they can be trying, they can be noisy, they can be irritating to drive. None of that happens with the Tucson Hybrid. It has standard all-wheel drive as well, 
which is nice. At least, okay. at least in Canada, it's standard all-wheel drive, mm-hmm. and it, it's supposed to get 38 miles per gallon city and highway, or okay. in Canada, 6.3 liters in the city and then 6.6. This is 38 hybrid, 38 miles per gallon. Yeah, that's what it's rated at. In yeah. in in Canada, sorry, in 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 my experience with the car, I got nowhere near that. I saw 10 liters per hundred kilometers, and it was cold. Oof. It was not super cold, but it was cold. But that's about 23 miles per gallon. That is a huge difference. That's massive. <laughs> that's like yeah. a 50% yeah. difference. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if I, I mean, I'm not mashing the throttle and whatnot. Like I was driving pretty normally and a lot of it was highway. I will, I will say that, but the highway and city ratings are almost identical. So it's, it's so strange. You know, the, 10 is a long way from 6.3. And 23 is Definitely. a long way from 38. So I don't know what yeah. was going on here. I don't know if there is a problem with the hybrid system in cold weather that does isn't reflected in EPA testing. But that is that is a discrepancy that I can't not mention. And your your like your drives were like long drives. They weren't, you know, short short trips around town, right? Yeah, everything out here in the boonies is a long drive. <laughs> uh, the other thing too is I looked at not just my calculated consumption based on my fuel fill-ups, which can sometimes be skewed if the tank isn't completely full when I pick it up. I compared that to what the vehicle was telling me, and the vehicle's most optimistic was like 9.5 liters per hundred kilometers. Yeah. So we're within the ballpark of what the, of what the car thought I was doing. That's rough. Okay. Um, I'm really caught off guard by that. I don't even, I don't even know where to begin with this because I'm curious as to whether or not the, maybe the turbocharged um, motor, the way it, the way it behaves in in cold weather might be uh, impacting that fuel economy. I mean, I, because I don't recognize other hybrids being that, that far off. I mean, the base, sorry, go on. Sorry, Tom. What were you going to say? Just, just for perspective, that is, Duramax Escalade fuel economy, right? Now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Duramax Escalade's pretty good on gas for what it yeah. is. Like, yeah. I, w- I would be happy if I was in an Escalade. I was less happy in this vehicle. <laughs> okay. Uh, and and compared to the the non hybrid, the non hybrid gets twenty six city and thirty three highway. So I'm like not even close to that either. I'm actually yeah. underneath the city rating of the of the base model. Um, okay, so that's a little that's fairly underwhelming in my opinion. Yeah. Um, does this car make up for it in any in anywhere anywhere else? So I can't really say that the Tucson is a standout. I think it's perfectly fine. I think if you're looking for a crossover in this size, this is one. Like that's the you know the most praise I can give it. I think it looks decent. I think the interior is nice. The, there's decent room in the back seat. There's good cargo space. I'm irritated that it doesn't have wireless CarPlay or Android Auto. That seems a little weird for given how much Hyundai has invested in, you know, a digital dashboard and LCD screens and all that. You have to plug in if you want that stuff, or at least I did. I was never able to connect uh, any other way. Um, And it's funny because I'm driving a vehicle this week that is designed 10 years beforehand and it requires being plugging in. And that makes sense, you know, (laughs) but the, the Tucson is relatively recent. That's the only thing about it that didn't really feel like it fit in with the competitive set but other than that i mean there's no reason not to buy it if the fuel mileage is better when it's not cold and we were talking like minus 10 to minus 15 at the very coldest celsius that's i think i don't know right around zero fahrenheit something like that uh it's still a huge penalty to pay and it's weird because the battery was i never depleted the battery the hybrid battery was always like either right around half or just under half and it would occasionally go into ev mode while i was driving it so it was the, the hybrid system was functioning according to plan 
it just wasn't able to deliver on the fuel mileage. That's a little... So, like, I mean, my overall impression that I'm getting from you is that this car is a little... Um, is missing the mark from the... Or missing the target set by the standard bearer in this in this industry. Right? For sure. I, but I ha- that being said, I haven't driven a RAV4 in similar cold weather in quite a while. So okay. I don't know. I will say that the performance... If you're looking at the hybrid from a performance perspective, it's for sure an upgrade over the base model. If you're looking at it for fuel mileage, clearly it's not at least in the winter. So it's it's really tough to say. This is something where I would have to revisit the car in the warmer weather and see how it performed. And I'd also want to check if, if there's anyone else out there who's listening who has a Hyundai hybrid uh, from any or Kia. Mo- yeah, or a Kia from any model year. I would like to, I would love to hear what your experience has been in cold weather. That's fair. I think that's fair. Um anything else you want to say about this um with this Tucson? No, I think that wraps it up. I, like I said, I do like how it looks. I think it looks a lot better than some of its competitors. And if that's important to you, then definitely check it out. I mean, definitely check it out anyway, because it also drives quite well. But you're going to have to be concerned about the fuel mileage if you live somewhere where it gets cold. Now, Thomas, we brought you on here because uh, you've got a bunch of great stories to talk about recently. Um, and uh, I hear that you've been driving some uh, some cool enthusiast-oriented models um, including a, a funky Toyota, and I would love to hear your take on this. Uh, what was it, that car again? So, yeah, it was the uh, 2023. Uh, in 2024, I know, but, you know, things stick around on press fleets uh, for a while. You could have just fit. Yeah. You could have just said 2024. Yeah. No one would know. <laughs> oh, they'd know. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, because the 24 gets, anyway, uh, the 2023 GR Corolla Circuit Edition. Okay. Now, talk to me about why why it's important to discuss this vehicle. What this did this vehicle leave like sort of a really good impression on you? Because that's kind of the that's kind of like how I read your review here. Yeah, it's sort of it's imagine exactly the halfway point between a Hyundai Elantra N and a Volkswagen Golf R, and you have it here. You know, it's not permanently locked in a keg stand like the Elantra N. It doesn't ever completely disappear like the Golf R. It's got some brilliant engineering underneath. The weighting and inputs and all the stuff you interact with when you're driving it are spot on uh, for an enthusiast vehicle. The all-wheel drive system and the differentials make it absolutely wicked in the snow. Mm -hmm. And um, it's... Yeah, it's just a wicked cool flex of what Toyota can do as a company on its own without the help of BMW or Subaru. Yeah, and and it's worth pointing out that we're living in an alternate reality now where Toyota has more performance and enthusiast vehicles in its lineup than any other mainstream automaker. Uh, we have GR Corolla, there's the GR86, and there's the Supra. You can, I can't think of another manufacturer in North America outside of luxury performance that offers three high-performance vehicles like that. I mean, Ford has the Mustang. Chevrolet has uh, the the Corvette now that Camaro is gone. Chrysler has nothing because the Challenger has disappeared. Uh, Nissan has the Z and the GTR, but that's only two. And Honda has the SI, which I don't really think is in this conversation, and the Type R. I mean, where are you going to find another company that's – what is Toyota doing? Like, why why are they suddenly the most exciting slash interesting for enthusiasts brand on the market? Yeah, it's sort of, it's a weird situation to be in. And I will give Akio Toyota credit for his no more boring cars crusade, um, his, you know, love of motorsports and sort of channeling that through uh, everything the company did for the past, you know, 
15 years or so. I mean, we even got a TRD Camry out of that. We do. We do. Funnily enough, I'm in that next week. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's just, it's a magnificent product. It's not so much the spiritual successor to the Subaru WRX STI as it is the spiritual successor to the Mitsubishi Lancer Revolution 9. It's uh, much harder edged. It feels more aggressive, uh, feels more optimized for tarmac, but still able to you know, uh, take a kicking on a gravel road, whereas the Subaru, you know, it feel, felt a little more optimized for loose surfaces. Um, and it's just that next level of cerebral performance so, uh, with being able to play with the all-wheel drive split and having, you know, the, the driveline disconnect tied to the handbrake and all that sort of stuff. When I drove the car, the, the vehicle it reminded me the most of, surprisingly, was I, I had a couple of the, I had an O2 and an O3 bug eye at different points in my life, uh, WRXs. And it really made me think of that because the car is not all that polished in the sense that, the, you know, there's there's some vibration and all sorts of actual mechanical stuff is happening while you're driving or while you're idling. And that kind of brought me back to a time when that was something that we could expect out of a performance car that was built um, based on economy car routes. Now, there's a huge price difference between what a, a Bug Eye cost in 2002 yeah. and what the GR Corolla costs now. And I feel like that's the one disconnect where, you know, I, I can hear what you're saying, though, when you're talking about like an Evo, where the sense that that was a car that was far more expensive than you thought it would be based on its roots and based on the actual package that it was wrapped up in. But uh, it, it does deliver performance that punches above its price point. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it is even with the beautiful new seats and the new steering wheel, uh, it's still a $28,000 Corolla with guess another $20,000 worth of go fast stuff bolted to it. And that's fine. Uh, I'm into that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, I think a lot of enthusiasts, uh, at least back when I was growing up, were into that, right? Like getting, getting a cheap platform and just stuffing it full of performance until it can take on anything on the road. But but instead we're told that what we actually want is a golf R, which is like a heavily muted version of that formula. Yeah, I mean, the Golf R is a brilliant Audi, but I'm not sure about it as a hot hatch. And and I think that it's even it's moving even farther away from that because I feel like there was a point in time for like five or six years where a Golf R felt like a mini executive car and it, that was still engaging to drive. And now it just kind of feels like a lot of software that you're sitting, you're just sitting inside a simulation of what an exciting car would be. And all the elements of, of excitement are there, but they don't quite come together to actually deliver the experience you want. Yeah, and I mean, that's mm. the, it's a real challenge um, of blending the desires of enthusiasts with the desires of the typical consumer, uh, because everyone is chasing uh, ever quieter cabins, ever less vibration and harshness, ever more insulation, ever more safety, i.e. weight yeah. and physical, structural, you know, and you do get that... Um, a sort of disconnect, a sort of insulation. And, you know, it's easy to bag on it now, but at the same time, you know, just think about how our parents' generation um, viewed fuel injection as, you know, the Antichrist. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, things change and involvement has to be taken within context but you can't um, simulate that involvement like that's the no issue, you right? can't you still have you to can't. you still have to actually deliver it and i feel 
that there are some companies that are able to bridge that gap. And there are others that merely point at the numbers and say, aren't you impressed by acceleration and yeah. G-, G load and holding and all that stuff. And I, you, some people want to buy that car, but that's not everybody. For sure. And like, I will be honest, some of the unrefinement, shall we say of the GR Corolla is intentionally added back in in very tricky ways like the uh the low end boom and the exhaust that is just uh, a flap to one of the openings just dumping open below 2000 rpm or so and then it closes once you're actually in a zone where it's like oh this might drone on the freeway um like that was a conscious decision beyond oh well this just flows well but um you know for what it is in a modern context it's you know, it's the real deal for someone who, for whatever reason, you know, maybe they, you know, aren't a huge fan of the spoiler package on the Elantra N, or maybe they want all-wheel drive. Um, it's just that next notch up of sport compact car, and it nails its brief perfectly. Which trim level did you drive? I drove the Circuit Edition. So um, at the uh, carbon fiber roof and the uh, spoiler, no, spoiler is unique to it, but the carbon fiber roof and the um, shift knob uh, downloaded from the ultra limited, like they sold nine in Canada, uh, two seat stripped out Marizo Edition. Um, and it has, you know, the Torsen's front and rear. It has the nice upholstery with the heated seats and the JBL audio and just everything in the kitchen sink thrown at it. And for the, my, my big thing about this car is I can't see myself spending $50,000 on, on the, the top tier model. I feel like the 36 grand base model is pretty attractive. $43,000, I think, is what you're, what the circuit retailed for in the U.S. in 2023. Yeah. Yeah, forty three nine nine five. It's gone up a lot for twenty twenty four. I noticed that. I noticed um, the prices had surged for them. And I mean, you do get you know you now get the BBS four alloy wheels. Uh, you get a few other goodies, but I mean, including freight in the U.S., that's forty six two three five in America yeah. and fifty eight. $58,710 in Canada. So I, I'm not a fan of when a car company decides what equipment you're going to have to get for a trim level. And and they just, you know, we're, we're, when you had the previous year, it was a certain price. And then the next year, it's a lot more, but you get extra stuff. That never really, that feels disingenuous mm-hmm. to me. Like you can't just throw the option sheet at a car and say that it's it's a good deal. Because you were mentioning context before. I feel like context gets really important once you're around the $50,000 mark and you can start to buy things that have actual luxury badges or actual performance brand name recognition. It is, um, I guess, sort of two counterpoints. One is that, you know, forged wheels are very desirable and very expensive. So just as a good chunk of that price increase alone, um, you know, a forged set of BBS wheels that you can, you know, maybe put some track tires on and take to the track or um, just have that extra bit of confidence over potholes that they will bend in a very uniform way and be able to be repaired rather than potentially uh, chip as any cast wheel may. And that is an, a uh, very Canadian way to look at yeah. <laughs> it is. the advantages of forged wheels. <laughs> the second is that I cannot imagine a single luxury branded car around $50,000 that I would rather have than this. Now I'm looking right now at 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 cars like the M240. Which I would not have an M240i over this. It's forty nine thousand dollars. It is. It's very quick. It's not as practical. 
No, but it is very, very quick, and it has huge potential with the aftermarket. But you're locked into that automatic gearbox, which some people like, but, you know, this is pretty much our last chance to buy brand-new manual cars. So do it while we can. Yeah, um, that's good advice. You know, uh, you have, like, the steering just isn't as good. It's not as communicative. Um, the Toyota has a very linear ratio. The BMW has that variable ratio steering that just doesn't quite feel natural. Um, it's a much heavier vehicle, and you feel that inertia everywhere, really, braking, cornering. Um, and there's just something nice and unassuming about, yes, it may have you know, massive fender flares and a spoiler and scoops and nostrils and gills. But at the end of the day, it's still a Corolla, you know, you can sort of pawn it off to, you know, your relatives and think you've made, you know, the the reasonable choice, the sensible, economical, practical, you don't have to tell them how much it is. And the other thing too, is you're going to see, you're going to see a lot of other two series out on the road, but you're not going to see any other Corolla GRs like it's it's or GR Corolla sorry uh it's yeah. it's far more rare uh if you if you you know you can still get like the the question I guess becomes do you want to spend that much money or do you want to spend less and then modify it to your needs like do you want to pick up a Miata do you want to pick up a, um, a GR86 uh do you want to pick up a, a Nissan Z which is going to be... I, I would not recommend anyone pick up an Nissan Z for, for other reasons, but... Um, <laughs> but it is, 10, just, it is 10K cheaper, right? It is 10 yeah. grand cheaper, and like this is coming from someone who owned and modified and loved a G35 six-speed manual, you know, limited slip rear diff. The, the new Z needs probably at least 10 grand in parts to feel like a performance car. Um it's you know it makes a great zx um but the subframe moves around a lot on accelerations you'll need stiffer bushings in there the tires just do not communicate when you're near the limits at all um so you know if you want to have a bit of fun you'll want to upgrade those tires otherwise you might end up in a hedge um the uh spring rate and damping is very compliant but the body control isn't there so you're probably looking at dampers uh springs and anti-roll bars um you know like you'll have to open pandora's box and in the end there is you know there's no guarantee that you will have a better all-rounder yeah uh than the corolla there's you know i've, I've tweaked i've modified and whatnot and you know i don't know if it's wisdom that comes with age but there is something nice about having a car that's set up the way you want from the factory and then just not touching it, not have to worry about it, not having to potentially make any trade-offs to make it the car you want it to be. Oh yeah, I mean it's 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 always nice to own a car that's not going to beat you up. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, it takes a while to to figure that out, but yeah, for sure, it's it's one of the reasons why I've drawn like a really hard line on modifying my CTSV past the the clutch and the sway bars that I put into it. You know, like. I I could put it on coilovers and it would look great, but then it's no longer the comfortable vehicle that I can just get in and put a ton of miles on and not worry about, right? Like it's yeah, yeah. I mean, the only things you know to that sort of platform. I mean, I, I take it you already have the rear end reinforcement parts that are so divergent. No, it's actually the... not. It's so the only you only need to do that <laughs> if you're drag racing. 
Like, so GM made like four different rear ends for that car, trying to yeah. trying to figure out that problem, the wheel hop problem. My car has the fourth generation from the factory uh, rear end. And, oh, excellent. And I have beaten the crap out of it on many road courses, and it has never been a problem. The only problem I encountered in a high-performance environment was the um, the clutch with the dual-mass flywheel. Yeah. It overheats. And then the yeah. pedal sticks to the floor and I have to physically reach down and pull the clutch pedal up from the floor on the track, which is <laughs> less than ideal. <laughs> so yeah, that's extremely annoying. The third or fourth time that happened, I replaced it with an LS7 clutch and that has been the single best modification I made to the car. Never had another problem with overheating. Uh, but yeah, the, the the rear end thing is you really see that played up because it's very hard to launch the car hard. But I never yeah. I never do that, so it's not an issue. Like I didn't buy sure. it to drag race. I have other things if other things on my mind. <laughs> no, I hear you. Yeah, it's it's yeah, drag racing and drifting are sort of the two yeah. big. But yeah, other than the clutch, like the only things you can realistically do to a car like that that are not a downside in any way. You know, you might be able to do uh, you know a fairly expensive like an MMR short shifter. Um, I actually have that, a, a short shifter in it because the factory shifter is garbage. Um, is. I didn't I didn't include <laughs> yeah. that in the in the mods, but there's a guy. I mean, I've had the car 15 years now, but there's a oh, wicked. yeah, I, a long. It's the car I've had the longest actually, and um, there was a dude named uh, Brian R- R- Ruxdale. He's still out there. Shout out to Brian if you're listening. He he's moved into the Corvette world now, but for a long time he was manufacturing one-off parts for the CTSV, and he made an amazing shifter that got rid of all the crappy bushings and weirdness that was inherent in the original design. And that's that's also a must-do for sure. Like you can't the factory shifter is just the factory shifter is so bad that at one point I couldn't put the car into first gear anymore because the the combined sag from the bushings on the factory shifter and the Tremec transmission mount made it so I had to bump shift it where I like you'd accelerate a bit down a hill and then slam the brakes on and shift at the same time that was the only way you could get it into first anyway uh, it's like uh, it's like GM and BMW in the mid 2000s had a competition to see who could put the worst shifter in a mid-sized luxury sedan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like on par with like those shifters on the dashboard in like the minivans that you used to be able to get. Just, yeah, just absolutely terrible. Yeah. Um, no, what are we talking about again? No. <laughs> oh yeah, not having not having to mess with it. It's yeah, that's the big appeal. Not, it's not having know, to go it, down the shifter rabbit hole. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, the GR Corolla, it's not a car for someone, you know, in their early 20s who just got their first really big job. It's really a car for someone in their 30s or older that's, you know, been down the the tuning route and they want something that evokes the thrill but isn't a hassle and is, above all else, absolutely excellent. Now, now you're, so describing, off you're describing Sammy exactly. He is exactly oh. that person. And yet, what did he choose to buy? When? When you when it came time for you to buy another car, you did not buy a GR Corolla. No, I didn't buy a GR you Corolla. You bought but a, I brought, uh, another turbo yeah. another turbocharged car. All wheel drive car. I drove I got a, a Subaru Outback. Yeah. A turbo a turbo yeah. outback. So Sammy, what, that's what went I was wrong? For more, <laughs> what went well wrong? I can yeah, I can course. tell you exactly what went wrong, and that's the way Toyota 
carved out the cargo area on the GR Corolla, you simply will not fit a stroller in there. Exactly. It is impossible to use as a family vehicle. That is a very do, do valid... Do the rear seats even fold down? Are there even anchors in the in the rear seats? Oh, I there wonder. are anchors. They fold down. You know, you can do a forward-facing, but you're not doing a rear-facing. No. Sammy, you're any asking a lot of questions about about something about, that Toyota does not yeah. want to discuss. <laughs> I know. Um, I, I mean... It's 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 incomparable, man. An Outback in a Corolla and a GR Corolla. And yet we're I, I doing it. Gone, <laughs> I would have gone for a Golf R if I could find one. Really, in my in my price point, and if I could really like uh, swallow the the expected reliability of a of such a, a vehicle, but it just wasn't going to work for me. And I plus, think. you have that hard requirement of illuminated illuminated control surfaces on the dashboard. That was a, <laughs> that was a deal breaker exactly. for you. I know. Yeah, that's technology. Uh, not that... for me, more for my partner. But yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I take it. Uh, I take it. Pre-owned uh, Stinger GTs were a bit thin on the ground at the time. Oh, man. Yeah, that actually, there were a couple a cool of car. them. But um, there was there was something about I didn't want a uh, a four cylinder model. I wanted a six, and the yeah. six were a bit too pricey. They're very yeah. expensive in Canada. Yeah, you know what's be- you know what's a better purchase than that? It would be a the last year of the Hyundai Genesis, I think, where it was kind of like basically a G80. Oh yeah. Um, those ones would be, a, those were, those were very close to you being gotta get the, the right V8. Pair. But if you're, but if you're going full Lux, go all the way up to an Equus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. And at least that might be able to store a, a, a baby stroller a little bit easier. Exactly. And like, you could have a fridge in the back to keep, you know, formula prepared. <laughs> yes, this is, exactly. you know, this, sure. is, this is practical parenting advice. <laughs> it's surprising that that was not in the brochure for the Equus. Like, <laughs> Um, Thomas, one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about this week was a story you published um, last week about the... Oh, this is really good. I love this. This is the... um, um, How do you describe these again? What is the The band-themed Honda Civics? Honda Civic Tour, Sammy. That's right, the Honda Civic Tour. Now, Honda Civic Tour is (laughs) is just a byproduct of, of... an idyllic time really right like the the 2000s when everyone was into having kind of like music all the time everywhere and ev- so everyone can hear it and that's are you saying music tool, is right? dead sammy is that what you're saying now like, i think everyone gone? just jams headphones in and that's it and, and nobody really likes to share each other's music these days wow. not like this wow okay. not, with a, not with a branded vehicle I, i'm gonna say i did not know the honda civic tour was a thing until i read this article on on the utopian you guys gotta go check it out it uh just went up this week and uh it is it is mind-blowing um, sorry, not this week. It went up last week. Uh, it, it is mind-blowing. Not only did Honda sponsor a tour, which makes a lot of sense because there are a lot of car companies that try to engage the youth market in a similar way, but Honda like went a step or maybe 10 steps further than you would have expected. Thomas, what did they do that no other car company has done to make this the weirdest possible thing? So they went uh, full um, how do you do fellow kids and they uh, <laughs> exactly. made each headliner essentially um, they made a customized Civic for each headliner. Um, and from what I've been learning since, you know, some of them have been done by marketing agencies um, and whatnot. So, you know, that might shatter the illusion a little bit. Um, but considering this tour ran from 2001 until uh, 2022, 2001, which, is, which I will point out, is the year Fast and Furious was released. So this is yeah, the yeah. ideal time period for Honda exactly. to be doing this. 
And this predates those little Scion CD samplers. Yeah, that's crazy too. To me, like Scion is like the ultimate sort of like music, random music tie-in uh, brand. Yeah, right? and, and also yeah. this was obviously so successful that all of us have not only heard of this tour, but have been <laughs> celebrating its existence for two decades. <laughs> and the crazy bit is they got like like proper talent on here you yeah, know it wasn't just like up around. and coming yeah it wasn't up and coming warp tour b stage it was like fallout boy and yeah. like demi lovato and somehow Lincoln maroon Park. five Maroon <laughs> five. charlie pooth blink 182 good charlotte yeah. newfound glory like yeah it's these are all bands that people are familiar with and yet cars that no one is familiar with like yeah it's i a, mean it's it's, it's impressive to shine such a bright spotlight on something and yet have everyone look away. <laughs> yeah, it's like nothing says how do you do, fellow kids, quite like a One Republic-themed Civic Type R. <laughs> and and, and some, so some of these cars, if you go to the article, which we're going to link to in the show notes, there are renderings of the cars and there are also photos of sometimes the stars with the cars. And it's funny how different those can be. Like some of the renderings, they look very aggressive video game-ish. The One Republic one is hilarious. It really reminds me of that era when they had those like Star Wars tribute cars as well, where they tried to make like a Honda or a Hyundai look like an X-Wing fighter. And they couldn't really do anything except paint it so that it looked like an X-Wing fighter. And the One Republic one looks like an X-Wing, except it says One Republic diagonally up the door yeah 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 i mean you know or the demi lovato one which you know in the rendering it looks like it is uh matte rose gold and black and in the actual photo it looks very waste management shall we say it's it's (laughs) volvo bronze but like after a few years in the sun (laughs) that's that's many years that's bad fluorescent lighting they couldn't spring up for the nice lighting for it and and the picture is like some bad fluorescent lighting would make it cooler if it's more brown it would be warmer like what's going on here authentic for sure and and there's also it's funny because some of the photos you could tell the band is having a good time but then there's some of the photos where like the blink 182 one clearly this is the 10,000th photo they've taken that week and they're just waiting to be told they can leave and then if you look at the dashboard confessional EM2 Civic Coupe, which I can't believe I just said that sentence, <laughs> but it, they are clearly photoshopped into this image. Like, yeah. they are not near that car. That car is a, that is a stock Civic photo. Someone has done a rendering of the graphics. And, and even funnier, so of all the cars here, this is the one I think that is most reflective of trying to catch up with Fast and Furious culture because it has like the kind of, terrible graphics going up the side that don't make a lot of sense that were popular at that time. But it also has in the rear quarter window, all sorts of performance stickers, including like a big Alpine sticker that that makes it feel like a tuner car, but it's not a tuner car. I mean, it's a tuner car in the sense that your friend in high school had a tuner car, you know, and, and, and yeah, dashboard confessional has never seen this car in person. (laughs) Yeah. It's, you know, some of them are a little, a little shocking. Um, you know, I I mean, I kind of like the, uh, as bad as it may be in certain ways, the Good Charlotte uh, EP3 SI, which is, again, an, another phrase that I, <laughs> you know, cannot believe I am saying, um, because it appears to actually have a full Wings West wide body kit on it. 
Yeah, they, they, they put a little Which bit of effort is, into yeah. that. You know, like... It's got a whole kit, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's got a kit, it's got wheels, those all those stickers on it, you know, those are actual parts that went into the cars. So uh, Alpine, you know, went into an aftermarket audio system in this particular vehicle. And the best bit is, most of them were... Um, given away as a promotion on the Honda Civic Concert Tour. So this could still be out there is what you're saying. They are still out here. This EP3 SI, the good Charlotte one, was spotted uh, in New England just driving about several months ago. Wow. Brilliant. That's like seeing Bigfoot. Like it's the kind of thing that, (laughs) you know, you're like, oh, where's my camera? And then no one's ever going to believe me. Those are your two thoughts like in sequence when you see the the, the good Charlotte EP3 Civic. Uh, Yeah. The other thing that... Oh, sorry. It wasn't the the Charlotte one that was spotted. It was the Incubus Incubus EP3 SI, which is also very of the time. Well, that's what I was going to bring up. (laughs) Something that I've noticed in this article that because of the timeline. So you you arranged it in terms of how how cool they are <laughs> uh sort of <laughs> but if if you look at how the they evolved the early cars like two from 2001 to say 2005 they do try to reflect tuning culture in the sense that yeah. it's pulling from what was on the street or what some honda marketing intern had been told by a cooler friend was on the street and then there's a shift where the later cars are we're just gonna throw a wrap on it and mm-hmm. some wheels and then even later than that, it's like, here's a car that is aggressively sporty looking. Like, it's almost like there's three different eras for these cars. Yeah, I mean, the Convergence is probably the Black Eyed Peas Honda Civic Hybrid, which is... <laughs> or the, yeah, fallout, so or the Fallout like. Boy the well, fallout the, Boy Hybrid is also another bizarre one. That, I mean, the Black Eyed Peas <laughs> one is a big one because a CGI version of it appeared in the music video for Pump It. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, so, like, there's, you know, actual crossover there. And there's, um, and there's like, a mid-period where they kind of just seem to have given up. Like the, oh, yeah. the 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 FG three car from a band I've never heard of three ball MTY that's new to me, uh, and if you look at the the One Direction FG three and then the Portugal the Man FG three those cars yeah. are those are like art cars but if they were done by a first year art class kind of deal <laughs> where they just let some they let some people loose in a room with some spray paint or some chalk paint or whatever and they just said make this look different than stock and like the, nothing else about the car really changed it's just uh, honestly yeah I mean. Either they did that or they crashed it in the headquarters of Canva. (laughs) (laughs) Like, here are some crayons, put it in the sun, see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the American author is one I like because it's like, make it look like a nondescript uh, YA novel. That's very true. (laughs) I I think that if I was to get behind the wheel of the American author's car, I would learn something about myself – and something about my best friend that causes us to not be friends for maybe two months, but then we come back together and we're stronger. That is oddly specific, but yeah. Um. <laughs> um, Thomas, what what is it that compelled you to write this story? Where did you? Get, how long have you been sitting on these uh, on these uh, Honda so, Tour cars? I've been sitting on these since two thousand seven. <laughs> okay so yes. one just really got your attention back then uh well i had um an issue of car and driver and obviously they were advertising in in the magazines and whatnot and it was the panic of the disco honda civic hybrid being advertised okay. for that year's tour um was it 07 or 08 it was one of the two um so it was like oh yeah this is a thing um so you know, just stuff we cash in the back of our memory banks. Oh and- yeah, don't ever go back there. It's not. I mean, it's not all cool civics, man. Like <laughs> some of it gets pretty dark. 
Well, the worst bit is this job is like justification for mental hoarding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guarantee you care more about this than anyone currently employed by Honda. <laughs> and that's amazing. That's almost guaranteed. And it's amazing yeah. to me because they did it for so long. That's the cra- the craziest part of this. Like, you know, remember when Hyundai was all about uh, zombie cars? When they yeah. were making Walking Dead cars, they did that for like That's two or right. three yeah. years, and then they stopped because they're normal. They're they they understand that cultural trends move on, and it was time to focus on something else. But Honda, Honda was like, no, youth is eternal, and the music of our youth, we're just going to keep projecting it until twenty twenty something question mark. And they just didn't know when to stop. And you can tell with some of the cars, you know, the interest waxing and waning on how much they wanted to be involved. It's just the length of this is the crazy thing i'm just saying they need to bring it back for one more year because they're missing limp biscuit <laughs> there you go if we could just you know 2024 the limp biscuit honda civic type r man it, the air <laughs> the air raid air raid machine i can't remember what. yeah yeah yep. rolling baby yeah wow and and honestly that would probably that would fit they would attract the limp biscuit demographic because how many also, of them are are ro- rolling in civics right now listening to this podcast Exactly. And also, like, you know, because of 20-year trend cycles and the way streaming has affected the music industry, it would probably actually boomerang around back and hit the younger audiences, too. Yeah, I mean, especially the audiences that watched that recent, what, Woodstock 99 documentary. Oh, yeah. They could do, like, a Civic that was just fires, basically. (laughs) Fires and, like, broken, I don't know, a a broken uh, broadcast tower. (laughs) Yeah, I am. I cringe to think. I cringe to think how horrific a Chili Peppers themed Civic would be. <laughs> oh yeah, it would just be it's filled like, with socks. That's that's what, like, <laughs> what would it come with? You know, alimony papers. Yeah, it would come with a uh, California bumper sticker and a you know title that's not from California. Oh, These it, aren't it wouldn't Chili Peppers from like you know Missouri or it something. It would like say that. California <laughs> on it so many times. Like you would not be able to escape how much California branding was on that car. It would make Lucid sound discreet. You know, just the way they put little California touches on everything. Man. Well, uh, I think on that note, before we get yet another lawyer's letter from Anthony Kiedis's estate, uh, we should probably wrap things up. Sammy, um, if people wanted to email us to suggest which rock star should or should not have a Honda Civic dedicated to their memory, how could they get in touch? It's super easy. All you need to do is head on over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There is a contact form. You just fill that out, and it lands in our inbox. Or if you want to do things um, a little bit more old-fashioned or hands-on, you can email us. It's benjamin at benjaminhunting.com. Or you can reach out to us on social media. You can find Ben on Instagram. He's at huntingbenjamin. Uh, You can find me on the social media network formerly called Twitter, I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And Thomas, where can people find you? Yeah, so I can be found, uh, my work can be found on the Utopian in a little bit on driving.ca. I can be found on Instagram at thomas.hundle, I believe. Um, I should have double checked. Um, <laughs> Sounds right to yes, me. At, at yeah. thomas.hundle on Instagram and uh, at thomashundle on the site formerly known as Twitter, I guess. All right, I'm not Tom. on there that often, though. No, I don't think anyone is anymore. <laughs> Thomas, thanks so much for coming in today. Uh, next week, Sammy, what are we going to be talking about? 
Uh, next week, I've got a 2024 Subaru Outback uh, Subaru Outback Onyx to talk about. Okay. What are you talking about? I'm going to be talking about the 2024 Jaguar F-Type R75, which is the last one, I think. Oh, yeah. Okay. I drove one of those. I remember that. All right. Very loud. So there's two last ones. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> okay. That's good to know. Well, that's confusing. Uh, thank you for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next week. Actually, no, we won't see you next week. We're taking next week off for various logistical reasons, uh, but we will be back the week after that.